Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week as we try to study some more questions that you've asked us, try to answer some more of them. And that's what we do on this program. If you're a first-time viewer, uh, you may wonder what Know Your Bible is all about. Well, you figured out it's about the Bible. And the other part is we want you to know your Bible a little bit better. And those numbers at the bottom of the screen, a phone number and a website, are the way that this program operates. You can use either one of those to get in touch with us. And if you've always wondered something about the Bible, uh, if you don't believe the Bible and question it and want to know how to, why we believe it, uh, whatever your question is, we'd like to try to answer it for you because we want folks to know their Bible a little bit better. Uh, and a lot of programs just tell you what they think you ought to know. Uh, we believe we'll just take questions and let you answer, uh, let you ask about anything on your heart or mind, and we'll try to answer them for you from the Bible. We get a lot of biblical questions, what's a verse mean, what's a doctrine mean, uh, but we get a lot of life questions. Uh, in fact, Toby's got one here coming up, a current thing is Islam and what do we do about that and, and all that. And this viewer wants to know from a biblical perspective, uh, what do we think about Islam? So lots of kind of questions. If you've got one of those, just uh, use the phone number of the website. We'll get to it as quickly as we can. Let me introduce my co-host, Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go here. And uh, I'm going to give our folks a trivia question to start with. And it's about a guy that climbed a sycamore tree. Who climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus? And I imagine most of you know that, but uh, we'll give you the answer at the end of the program and see if you get it right. All right, Toby, you do have the Islam question here. Spend a little time on that. Yes, a uh, very timely question. A person asks, how should we respond to Islam? Well, I thought about trying to answer this question just real quick and run right through it, but I think it would be helpful for people to understand Islam. Uh, again, this program is about the Bible, and so we, we try not to get into what religions believe because we're not going to get it right. Obviously, we're not of of the uh, Islam faith, and so you know, I'm trying to be fair here, but I believe all of these, what I'm about to say, are, are things that Muslims believe. Um, Islam is a man-made religion. It was started by Muhammad, uh, and uh, he was a trade merchant from Arabia, and he started this uh, religion in about the seventh century. Um, there are very sincere people who believe and live by the teachings of uh, uh, Muhammad, and uh, they live by the Quran. Uh, you need to know that Islam is very different from Christianity uh, on, on many fundamental points. Um, first is that Islam professes to worship Allah. They say there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Uh, Allah, Allah, if you research into who Allah was, uh, it was a pagan moon god. And uh, they believe that's the only true God. 
Uh, they do not believe uh, that, that uh, in the Holy Spirit or in Jesus Christ as deity. Um, Islam teaches that you must convert the infidel, that's the, the non-believer, and uh, that you may do so by any means necessary. Uh, jihad is a holy war, a holy struggle uh, to, to convert those who do not believe in Muhammad and Allah uh, to believing and, and by whatever means that you find necessary to do. Uh, <clears throat> Islam teaches that salvation comes by works. There are five pillars of Islam, uh, faith, uh, prayer, alms, a pil pilgrimage to Mecca, and fasting. Uh, they have various celebrations and things, but, but it's all about earning. It's all about doing enough good works and doing them in the right way at the right time. Uh, Islam teaches uh, or denies that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, they deny uh, the Holy Bible, the Bible that we study on this program. Uh, they don't believe that is the infallible, perfect Word of God. Um, they deny the resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe that He was anything other than a maybe a good prophet would probably be the best way to say it. <clears throat> so those are some very distinct key differences. Some people say all religions are the same. No, these are very, very different worldviews and teachings and understanding of spiritual matters. Uh, Christianity teaches uh, that we love God, uh, that we believe that Jesus Christ is His Son, and that the Holy Spirit is His, uh, the in indwelling of all Christians. We believe in, of course, the resurrection of Jesus, and we believe that we should love all people, uh, love our neighbors as ourselves, as the second greatest commandment. Uh, we know that Jesus laid down his life. Uh, he didn't force anyone to do that. Uh, he, laid, gave up, he laid down his life to save his followers. And we believe that all sinners are saved by grace. And that we, you know, that ultimately salvation comes down to unmerited favor of, of God. And so um, I'm going to say that, you know, Islam is, is very different from Christianity. And... Um, it's not something that, you know, if you understand it at all and you understand Scripture, you'll understand they are directly opposed to one another. The question is, how do we respond to them? Because we understand that all Muslims are still created by God, and that God certainly loves them, but the things that they believe are so unbiblical. Um, how do we respond to them, the viewer asks? Well, that's a wonderful question. I think the first answer to that is do what Jesus did, and that is to be loving be respectful and to be kind uh, towards your Muslim neighbors. If you have folks that uh, go to the school with your kids or maybe they're neighbors in your neighborhood or you see them at the market, show that love and respect and kindness. Be Christ-like to them. Uh, secondly, I heard a wonderful suggestion. Someone said, be hospitable. One of the wonderful uh, common values of the two religions is hospitality. And Christians were well known for that. That's where hospitals and things like that came from. Well, uh, the Muslim faith very much appreciates and respects being invited into a home and being shared, having a shared meal. That's a great honor to them, and it's a way where we can find common ground. I think when you talk about religious matters, you've got to speak the truth, but in a loving way. I understand there are differences, but understand that superior, superior, superiority is with the Bible and as God's true word. Uh, you need to pray for them. You need to seek uh, to show them the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. And I, I think this, uh, doing these things will be 
make us more inclined to have better conversations about teaching them about Jesus Christ. And this is what the scriptures say. Let's look at Acts chapter 4 about Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. We have a responsibility to seek and save the lost and share with others who do not know Christ about Christ. And that's true with everyone, not just our Muslim neighbors. Uh, but we can do this in a, in a good way, in a truthful and a loving way. And I believe that will be uh, the best response that we can give. So I hope that helps. All right, thank Tough you, question. Mm -hmm. Good advice there. All right, viewers reading Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and a hard book to understand in many ways, and uh, found a verse that bothers them. Uh, in Revelation 22:15, why are the evil people outside the city? That's the city of heaven. Shouldn't they already have been thrown in the lake of fire? All right. Well, uh, context lesson here. If you read verse 15 by itself, <clears throat> it's talking about people in the holy city at the end of time and all that. And it says, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Okay, so you just read that verse, it sounds like, all right, here's the city of heaven and all the good people are in it and out howling around the gates are all the evil people. Uh, well, the trouble is the, the context hasn't been looked at here. And the tense, I think, is the main thing that uh, we're. This is a prophecy. Uh, heaven's not here yet. We we haven't. The, the holy city hasn't come down yet. Uh, and this John is wrapping his book up by telling us Jesus is coming. And some of the things that Jesus says in his revelation to John. Uh, verse uh, 12, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus talking about the end of time. And here's where he says, verse 14, right before 15. Let's get to context. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Then comes verse 15, outside are the immoral. So what his picture is, is the righteous get to go into heaven and the unrighteous don't get to go into heaven. Now the exact timing, uh, this viewer is right according to other revelations and prophecy. It sounds like they're going to be cast into the lake of fire kind of simultaneously with the righteous going into the holy city. So they won't be around the gates or around the walls bothering anything. They're going to be condemned to their place. The righteous will be in their place. So the viewer's right. They're not outside the gates. That's a picture. And he doesn't say they're outside there. He says they don't get to go in. So hope that clears that up for you a little bit. And let's just read the context and the tense of it. And I think it'll make sense to you. All right, Toby, got another oh, one. Yes, I, <clears throat> the viewer asked the question, I try to live a Christian life every day, but I am afraid to die. Uh, can you give me some advice for this? <clears throat> well, uh, I, I think my response to this is going to be that that is very perfectly understandable. Um, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who died. And one of the 
shortest verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, that tells us that at his funeral Jesus wept. And I always kind of wondered uh, what what it was. Perhaps he lost his good friend, but Jesus knew the perspective. He knew death wasn't the end. So why did he weep? Well, it says that he he looked around and saw the, everyone weeping, and he uh, then the scripture says wept. So I think he understands, I know he understands, uh, that he, for you and I, finite beings, we don't have an understanding of any type of perspective, what death is like, what happens, what's beyond. The, the scripture even doesn't give us a lot of insight into what the afterworld is like. And so anything that we don't know about, we're naturally going to fear or be afraid of or have, at least have some anxiety about. I, I've known very faithful Christians who came toward the end of their life and, and did have a little bit of anxiety about closing their eyes for the last time and what would be, what would be on the other side. Uh, one example I've always, often used on this subject is imagine a door and, and everybody that ever lives goes through the door but no one can come back and we don't know what's beyond the door. Uh, we're told bits and pieces but we're not given a full picture. Uh, to me, that's kind of the way death is. Uh, everyone must die. Uh, the scripture says that. After that, we face judgment. But what it looks like and, and how exactly it happens and, you know, do angels meet us or do we go to a waiting place or, you know, all of these mysteries, the scripture simply doesn't reveal. And so we're going to have some, it's natural to have some <coughs> nervousness about that. Um, the first thing I'm going to tell you is read 1 Corinthians 15 again and again and again. Paul there talking about Christ and the hope of the resurrection and the reminder of where our security lies. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And he's talking about the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So be reminded of that. Read 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and be reminded of the reason you became a Christian. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 together on the screen verses 4 and 5. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the, de from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So it's natural to fear death. We don't get a lot of details, but uh, the Scripture is quite clear that if we're in Christ, we are secure. All right, good answer. I'll take just a moment to invite you to study the Bible with us here at Know Your Bible. Uh, we talk about the Bible for 30 minutes each week, but we also want you to study at home. Uh, so we've got some free materials that will help you do that. And we've been giving them away for a couple of decades now, almost three decades, and a lot of people have learned a lot of Bible over the years, I think, and we get a lot of thank you notes and thank you uh, calls that uh, tell us how much we they, folks appreciate uh, this good way to study the Bible. There's lots of different ways to study the Bible. Uh, you can sit down and just start reading if you want to. Uh, you can get some good study helps and lots of ways to do it, but here's some that we think are really helpful and have proven to be helpful. Uh, there are eight lessons in this first set that you see here, and they come to you in the mail. The first one's about the Old Testament, and that's what you learn about. What is the Old Testament, and who wrote it, and what's it talk about? And then the New Testament, you learn about that in the second lesson. 
who wrote that one and what are the contents and what's the main message of it and all of that. So uh, right off the bat, you know the two big divisions of the Bible. You've got them figured out, know a lot more about them, and then you go into more detail uh, beyond that. So good basic introduction to the Bible. Uh, lots of people have enjoyed it and know a lot more about the Bible than they used to because of it. We're happy to send that to you absolutely free of charge. We pay the postage both ways, never ask you for money, never bother you in any way. Uh, if you find out it's something that doesn't help you, just uh, stop. <laughs> and we won't, we won't uh, bother you or uh, send anybody after you. Nothing bad will happen. It's just a, <laughs> just a good way to study the Bible and we're happy to share it. So give us a call, phone number, website, log on, tell us you'd like that course. You'll get it pretty quickly. All right, got an interesting question. A uh, viewer wants to know, why are most non-Catholic churches not as vocal about abortion as the Catholics? Well, uh, I'm sure that's exactly what it appears like uh, watching TV or reading the news, whatever. And here's my answer to that. Uh, I enjoyed this question because it made me think a little bit. Uh, why would that be true? Number one, uh, many non-Catholic churches are not against abortion, unfortunately. Um, almost all of the mainline denominations uh, have thrown their support toward the pro-choice side. Uh, they lump it in with social justice and somehow look over the clear teachings of the Bible about not murdering uh, and make it some kind of social justice issue and that's what they preach and teach. Uh, I don't understand it, but they do. I don't know how you can claim to be a student of the Bible and advocate murdering children, but they do. So a lot of mainline denomination, Christian denominations that are non-Catholic, uh, you look at their website and their positions, they're pro-choice. They woman's right to choose. Uh, so that reduces the, the quantity of non-Catholic churches that are anti-abortion. Uh, then those that are, uh, let me put it this way, don't have as big a microphone as the Catholic Church. Uh, there are non-Catholic churches that are very anti-abortion. Uh, Northside Church of Christ, for instance, we preach against abortion. We preach uh, what the Bible says about that. We have a lot of people that uh, our volunteers in pregnancy crisis center. We have a lot of people that are adoptive parents or uh, foster parents of unwanted children and all that. So we do all that, but if I make a statement about it, nobody's going to bring a microphone out to listen to me. It's certainly not going to make the national news. Uh, so we just don't have a big microphone. When the Pope or a bishop makes a statement, uh, the media has to cover it. That's a, I don't even know how many million people that is uh, being spoken for. So when they make a statement or take a position on something or criticize somebody, uh, the media has to cover it. And I think that's the third clue is the media is rapidly pro-choice. So the media is not going to cover uh, any small <laughs> non-Catholic uh, group that wants to say something about abortion. Uh, they'll cover the Catholic Church because they have to. 
but uh, they're not on the side of <laughs> anti-abortion forces, I guarantee you. So I think that's the reason. What you get through the news, through the filter of the, the news and all that is the Catholic Church because they've got the big voice, uh, but there are lots of other people that are right there with them on this position. So uh, that would be my guess as to why you hear much more from the Catholic Church. All right, Toby. Yep. A female viewer uh, submitted this question. Uh, I have to wear pants to work for a re uh, as a requirement for my job. Is this a sin? <clears throat> well, uh, no, it is not a sin. Uh, some, uh, I understand some people uh, believe that women should have one type of clothes and men should have another type and you can't cross over. I, I understand that. That's not a biblical thing. The Bible doesn't have any specific verses about, you know, dresses and pants and all of that. It, there is a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 22 where uh, I just was going to read that it says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, to take that as far as saying women can't wear pants, I think is missing the whole scope of what that teaching was about what that doctrine was. It was taking on um, a man taking on the identity of a woman. That's an abomination. A woman taking on the identity of a man. That's an abomination. Uh, and, and dressing in such a way so that, a, so that you appear to be something which God did not create you to be. And that's the problem. Uh, so, but as far as you know, wearing pants to work and so forth, you know, Scripture doesn't say anything about that. As long as you're not trying to pass yourself off as a as a male uh, worker for some reason, um, then I don't think there's any problem with that. So, uh, the Bible doesn't give us any specifics on you know, as I said, pants and dresses and all of that. Uh, <clears throat> in, in concerning dress, it does tell us the general principle in the New Testament is that we ought to dress reasonably for people who are ambassadors for Christ and that we ought to dress modestly, appropriately, it might be another way to say it, uh, because we represent Christ. And so the way we dress sends a message to others about how Christians are and what they believe. Uh, and so it's our nonverbal communication. We want to make sure that is sending the best message possible. Let's look at a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 where Peter writes, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as the elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. <coughs> and so the, the internal uh, matters a great deal. That That's where beauty comes from. Uh, the world worries about the outward adornment much more than we do. But that is the princi principles from Scripture. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Uh, viewers questioning one of the Ten Commandments here and what it applies to. Since the Bible says you shall not kill, is it a sin to euthanize a pet? Well, uh, this viewer, first of all, is reading from a, an, an older translation where it says, Thou shalt not kill. Uh, let's look at the New King James, which isn't that much newer, but uh, just cleaned up the language a little bit and made a few corrections. Uh, the New King James says uh, the commandment is, you shall not murder. Now what's the distinction there? Well, murder is killing humans. Uh, killing, uh, I mean, just common sense. If the verse really meant you can't kill anything, uh, then you couldn't slap a mosquito. Uh, you know, 
and maybe somebody believes that, but nobody with <laughs> common sense. Uh, there's things that need killing, <laughs> roaches and all sorts of creepy things uh, that we all need to kill, uh, in within human habitation anyway. But the, the, the commandment is you shall not murder. Don't kill humans. In fact, Genesis 9-6 is where you go to read that original law he told to Noah. Uh, if a human kills a human, then that human's got to die. He's given up his uh, right to live among society. So that's what the verse means. Now, it doesn't apply to pets. Uh, it applies to humans only. On Genesis 9-6, God has given us dominion over the animals. And sometimes the most humane thing to do is to kill a pet. I know it sounds harsh when I say it that way, and we use a euphemism like, oh, it's time to put them down, uh, or something like that. But that is the most humane way to do things sometimes uh, for pets that are beyond uh, a healthy life. So, no, that verse doesn't mean that, and it doesn't apply to anybody but humans on top of that. So, if a pet has reached that stage in life where they're in more pain than uh they need to be, and they're not going to live much longer anyway. Euthanization is the, the the humane thing to do. You said even reason and common sense. Of course, in the old law, uh, they were commanded to sacrifice animals. So oh. certainly, killing animals was not anything that God <laughs> had a problem with. Uh, of course, that was for different reasons, but yep. just that whole reasoning still stands true. Murder is different than yep. killing. Yep. Okay, let me invite you to visit a church near you somewhere. Uh, if you live out around Great Bend, Kansas, uh, there's Church of Christ there that I uh, know you'd enjoy meeting the folks there. Brother Chuck Marshall's a minister, does a great job of preaching the Word of God. Uh, a lot of other good folks there in Great Bend. If you live around there looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcome. Drop in sometime and uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. And that applies anywhere you live, any market you live in. Uh, because these folks keep us on the air and help provide funds for us to uh, broadcast so that we never ask you for money. Uh, so wherever you live, the Church of Christ near you, drop in and tell you thank, thank <laughs> you tell them thank you for providing the program for you. And if you're looking for a church home, give a Church of Christ a try. You'll find a group of people that think and study a lot like we do here on this program. Got time to do one quick one? We'll do one real quick. One minute here. Okay, a person asked the question, how do you let go of things and give it over to God? Well, worry and anxiety is an easy sin to fall into, and at its core, worry and anxiety are a focus on self, the self-delusion that I am in control, uh, putting myself really in control of all things, and of course, that's not true. So we get over those things by understanding we're not in control, confessing we're not, praying about it, stop worrying and being anxious over every little thing. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, good advice to let go of things and give it over to the Lord. All righty. Thank you, Toby, for that good answer, and thank you, viewers, for your good questions. We appreciate all the new things we get to talk about each week, and we've got some great ones coming up next week. Uh, before we leave today, let's get that trivia question answered. Who was the fellow that climbed up the sycamore tree to see Jesus? I almost said the little fellow, but that would have been a clue. Uh, Zacchaeus was his name. 
and he climbed the tree because he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd, so he got up in a tree where he could see Jesus, and uh, Jesus noticed him, by the way, and took him home to lunch and made a good man out of him. So, great Bible story there about Zacchaeus. We're glad you've been with us today, and we'll come back next week and try to answer some more of your uh, questions, see what we can find in the Bible for you. Until then, we just hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.